Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Digital Transformation Podcast. Another amazing episode is on the road today. And uh, I would like to, as usual, to welcome my co-hosts, uh, Cyril Coste and Frank Italia. Thank hello. you for joining. Hello, hello, everyone. And our guests uh, that today will help us exploring the world of blockchain, Web3 and NFTs. I would like uh, everyone to warmly welcome Theodora Lau. Thank you for joining. Hello, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, Nikolaos, that uh, um, is um, uh, helping us uh, in uh, discovering today a lot of uh, uh, applications into the black blockchain world. Uh, welcome to uh, to the Digital Transformation Podcast, Nico. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. So where do we start? I would like to, to first of all, give you a little more of ground about our guests as usual. Uh, Theodora is a founder uh, at uh, Unconventional Ventures. She's uh, a book author. Uh, actually, she just released uh, a new book a few weeks ago, podcast host of One Vision and the public speaker of uh, fintech, financial inclusion and tech uh, for good. While well, instead, uh, Nikolaus is a senior manager at Net Company and uh, investor in the blockchain economy, uh, working majorly, as I said, in uh, the Web3 sphere, emerging technologies uh, with uh, major EU software integrator. Um, who wants to start with the icebreaker questions with our uh, with our guests? Well, I jump. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, a few years ago, you know, we had metaverse everywhere, NFTs everywhere. Uh, Web3 also had this kind of uh, uh, little fame at one point. And uh, when we when we did the research for uh, for the show, we we noted that uh, uh, in the first half of twenty twenty two, there were one hundred twenty billions dollars investment in the metaverse. Uh, do you think that companies are still continuing to invest in the metaverse or are they repurposing what they've learned or uh, uh, what, what has been, basically since the peak, since the top of the hype, what has been your view and your experiences? I don't know if Nicolaus or Theodora, you want to start? I'll jump, I'll jump. This is a fun one because um, I've been asked that quite a few times already this past year. The uh, first reaction to people hearing about the new book, Metaverse Economy, was, geez, Theo, why? It's dead already. I've gotten that quite a bit. Um, Actually, even as recent as a couple of days ago, Theo, why are you writing about that topic? Um, My funny comeback is, look, there are, I don't know, a few continents in the world. So there is the the West. I hate the, the differentiation between West and East, but there it is. We have, you know, Europe, UK, um, US, Canada, what have you. And then we have the rest of the world. Um, I recently spent two months in Asia. And I can almost tell people I feel like I, I was living in a different world. Every single fintech conference I went to, every single conversation that I had was around Web3, metaverse, digital assets. What can we do? What are some of the interesting use cases? How can we use it in education? How can we use it in government? How can we use it in healthcare? And um, how do we change a company? I even came across a company that changed their name to gear completely towards the metaverse. 
I came back to the U.S., the conversation went back to how do we enable digital transformation in banks? How do we use less checks? How do we、um, do super apps? We've done super apps for almost six years now, in the other side of the world. So, a short answer to your question is: the metaverse is not dead, and the metaverse is not meta. Is a whole much bigger world of how it could be. I would go back to thinking about internet back in you know the early '90s. That was when I went to college. I went with a huge clunky laptop,、um, and we all got an email address. We got onto the quote unquote internet where there was not much there. And then fast forward to、um, Windows. Fast forward to this little. Handy devices that we all carry with us, basically a computer. I couldn't imagine back in 1990 that we would be able to order a ride, order food, and do all of these things in a little machine. So you know, the I, I think there's a lot of possibilities. Is it going to be here tomorrow? No. Is it going to be here next year? No. But give it time. Yeah, Laura, that, that's actually quite interesting. I, I am wondering because you've talked about this difference that we have between the Western world and the Eastern world. Why? Why do you think that is? Like in your two months there, did you have the chance to understand why this big difference? Do you remember back? I'm dating myself.、Um, do you remember back in the old days when we had、um, wireless, where there were different protocols? Right, so in the U.S., for example, we have CDMA. We could not take the phone outside of the U.S. to use. So if I were to travel to London, if I were to travel to Singapore, I needed the different phone because that's GSM, and is not gated in the way that we are gated in here. I would say it's the similar thing. There are different,、um, shall we say, pace of adoption, if you will. Mobile internet on the cell phone at that time was way more advanced in Asia. Than it was out here.、Um, infrastructure perspective, I think you know from financial services we are a little bit more established, so it's harder to make change.、Um, I'm not going to get into the other side of my speculation, not in the call in here,、um, but I, I think I think genuinely from a culture perspective too,、um, is we want to try something new, right? There are a lot of things that is not really working the way we would like for it to work. So, for example. Um, the dominance of big tech companies who are all based in the U.S. So, could there be something else that we can play with? Would there be a different way of doing things? Okay, make make makes a lot of sense to me. I I have a question for uh, for uh, Nicolaus instead. Uh, you have uh, uh, worked extensively on、uh, SAP tech and、uh, emerging technologies. Uh, I've been checking a bit of your background and all the good things that you have been doing. Uh, uh, would you like to to explain a bit to our audience what、uh, SAPTEC、uh, stands for and eventually uh, describe uh, significant、uh, significant advancements that you saw in、uh, in this、uh, in this area in the in the last years? Yes, of course.、Uh, different authorities across the world that are responsible to regulate a smooth、uh, transition to emerging technologies like blockchain and metaverse, they are they need to take action on how to regulate and oversee the industry to safeguard、uh, investors, consumers, users, you name、uh, who who is.、Um, Let's say the target audience. 
Subtech means supervisory technologies and there is no a single technology or a mechanism that uh, be included in this uh, category. Uh, for example, when we're speaking about uh, blockchain and digital assets, obviously we need to create mechanisms to oversee the number of transactions, where those users identify uh, if there are any illicit funds uh, being transacted through different blockchains. So it could be a combination of different technologies that create new tools that help regulators create insights around uh, emerging technologies and also help safeguard uh, different industries. Um, if the question is related to metaverse, I, I say that uh, it's still too early for regulators to, to oversee metaverse. We're only just now starting. I see first applications coming mainly in the gaming industry and also conference organizers. Uh, definitely the European regulators who are more proactive and um, uh, I would say they are concerned uh, immediately with when new technologies are rising and they want to promote uh, new technologies. Uh, they have already started discussing if Meta or any other big uh, USA company could establish a monopoly. So I'm pretty confident that they will also develop different mechanisms to also oversee metaverse. But the uh, subtech to conclude in general is quite exciting because regulators, they also feel uh, the rush that they also need to develop uh, new technologies in order to monitor new trends or um, technologies that until now uh, they were not that widespread and they realized that they don't have the necessary tools and they need to innovate themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. That's a quite of an interesting uh, topic because, you know, most of the time when we uh, approach the, the new technologies, there is a regulation uh, factor that needs to be taken in account. If you remember about oh, everything is happening with the, with the AI now, just because it's very trendy. Uh, but, but there is also another important aspect that is the, the, the impact that it has on, uh, um, on the world. And uh, I'm particularly now going, moving into the, the, the topic of the, the green shift. Uh, so uh, my uh, my discovery talking with the Cyril and uh, with the Frank yesterday was that uh, the, um, you know we were discussing this topic in 2023 globally uh, we will have more investment in solar than oil and gas. Uh, my question for you, Nico, and of course for uh, Theodora immediately after is: uh, What can uh, blockchain add to this topic? Uh, is there any kind of project that you are aware of that is moving uh, more uh, towards, you know, the green shift? Yes, actually, it's quite uh, interesting because uh, these days uh, I'm working on an enterprise project about uh, green bonds. So uh, I will say that uh, the blockchain technology definitely has uh, mediums in order to transform um, the energy market. Uh, we see a lot of enterprise applications and I will say um, after financial, maybe energy-related uh, applications that are using blockchain technology, at least from my perspective and potentially the leads that I have uh, coming second. Um, and because 
fashion industry. Uh, energy is also quite fragmented. There are many different players uh, that need to come together in order to uh, transact. Uh, I feel it's a perfect example why we need uh, the blockchain technology. Uh, now about uh, GreenShift, um, uh, I remember, I believe I have heard it from you, Michelle, uh, from another podcast, the difference of uh, GreenShift and GreenWash sometimes is uh, ambiguous. Uh, I will say that um, some initiatives a few years ago, probably they didn't have much depth, but right now the whole industry is more mature and uh, we have set the right foundations. There is uh, new infrastructure that is scalable and uh, yeah, also product managers have better expectations what they should expect from the technology and why they need to replace traditional databases. So, so I feel new projects that are coming now to the market have better chances of uh, succeeding now uh, in comparison to three years earlier. Amazing. Theodora? Um, so I, I, I like what you just said too, and um, I'll add to it. Uh, one of the examples I spotted last year is a company called Reseed, and it's based in the U.S. as a community-based um, tool, if you will, that um, provide a revenue source to small-scale farmers so that they will maintain um, land, if you will, millions, metric tons of carbon stock on their land. Um, and then they use AI on top of it to verify, hey, this is really the land that you have to trace back into the market and sell those carbon bundles to people as an investment. So I don't know exactly how that will go in a few years, but it gives you a little bit of, of a, oh, wait a minute, this is on top of everything that we could do. Now, people would say, well, you know, carbon credits. Um, I, I think there are some other question marks around that particular topic. Why don't we just reduce instead of just trading numbers from one to the other? But, you know, it is the beginning of uh, perhaps hopefully something better to come. Yep. yep. Cyril and uh, Frank, do you have uh, uh, examples? I can think of... Uh... For example, yeah, energy credits, which I think is uh, most likely the same thing as what uh, Theodora was just uh, talking about, like uh, or even attracting uh, through the use of tokenization, uh, it, it could be used. The blockchain could be used to attract investments. Uh, would could make it more appealing for uh, big investors, for example, to grab shares and actually invest these uh, um, uh, ideas and uh, activities for. Uh, yeah, to make more viable any kind of project which is a green project for mm -hmm. uh, for the for the future i can think of a project that i worked on it was a big um, investment company uh, that actually uh, developed an application a web uh, a mobile application and one of the features in the mobile application actually gave the user the possibility to go through a survey so that they could actually see what the impact into in terms of a uh, carbon uh, dioxide that they were actually releasing by how many planes they were using per year, their habits and so on and so forth. And then it would give them the possibility to actually uh, uh, buy a tree 
uh, mm. plant a tree around the world in different areas of the world, and and uh, and this was all regulated uh, through the use of blockchain, so they could actually use totally transparent. Yes, and, totally uh, transparent, and totally and that would actually give their users the opportunity to make up for uh, their production of CO two. Cyril. Yes, I, I'm thinking about a, a Siemens that is uh, sponsored by uh, by Siemens, which is called the SideGreen, and it's a blockchain where um, manufacturers can track the emissions at each step of the manufacturing process. So it's it's free. It's open to everyone, to every manufacturer. So there is a consortium that has been created. And uh, it's basically use this idea that everything on the blockchain is transparent. And the only way for actors to trust that their suppliers um, uh, uh, correctly measures and record uh, their emissions is basically to make it open, not just you know a piece of paper between two parties. So that's uh, uh, that's promising, um, and you know beyond that, there is also all this idea to optimize uh, energy use, uh, manufacturing process, uh, in order to reduce the emissions. Because it, it, it's one thing, you know, to try to compensate our CO two emission to offset, but it's always better. It will always be better to not emit. Uh, emissions in the first instance and i think this is where the real battle is is really reduce the co2 emissions so yes so if you're interested um check it's a, a si green uh it's a blockchain that tracks um co2 emissions yeah great great i heard a lot of these projects uh, i remember when last in dynamics became carbon neutral uh, certified where we did was uh, choosing the projects in which we would then invest uh, the budget, you know, to, for uh, for the uh, carbon compensation and uh, uh, the um, at the moment, if I recall well, I'm checking again the website. We are investing into uh, Uruguay uh, Guanare forest plantation and then uh, uh, in Zimbabwe for um, for a similar activity. There is something uh, related also. Uh, to Brazil and uh, the the biodiversity of the uh, Amazonian. Uh, so I, I would say that um, uh, one of the first questions that the administration brought up was how do we verify that this is actually happening, you know, very, very uh, clearly. And uh, and I have to say that the company that certifies us is actually super transparent. So they gave us all the insights. But of course, uh, having an automation with a clear history of all the transactions that allows you to understand from the very moment in which you trade your, uh, your you know, your uh, uh, money for uh, for crypto and uh, token, then how this get uh, utilized down the road uh, up to the you know the source, uh, the project where actually are contributing uh, in some way. Um, so so definitely, I I I truly believe this is one of the most wonderful and beautiful applications you know that this technology can can bring us. Uh, okay, so the conversation is becoming really interesting. Which other uh, um, questions do we have for our uh, for our guests? I know that like, I wanted to add uh, there is an initiative from Filecoin. I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with Filecoin blockchain, um, and they are uh, financing uh, refi projects. Um, 
personally have attended their conference in Paris, I believe they change uh, every year where it's hosted, it's called Sustainable uh, Blockchain Summit. And over there, I see it's without any charge. Um, all the previous discussions are uh, on YouTube. So there are many blockchain startups. Unfortunately, I can't recall now the, the names to present a few players, but some, if someone is interested in uh, sustainable models or startups related to energy, or they want to start their own, maybe they can get some grant uh, to kickstart their project. Okay, great. Of course, uh, uh, this is uh, something that we usually say at the end, but uh, now that we have the chance to say it uh, um, to our audience, um, at the end of the episode, uh, our guests will tell you where you can uh, follow them and uh, reach them out, you know, through uh, social media or eventually LinkedIn. So uh, please stay until the end of the episode so that you will discover it. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, yes, I know that we have other questions. Yes, I have a question for Nicolaus. Uh, as you are a blockchain expert, that's going to be really interesting. Uh, so, so recently you shared an article about uh, the London Stock Exchange. I don't know if we can share share it. Uh, yes, yes, of course I will. Uh, share will yeah. Yep. yeah, so that. Okay, here we go. Uh, should be this yep. one. This one, yeah. So uh, LSE Group plans to offer blockchain powered market for traditional assets. Um. Can you tell us, can, can you develop a bit more about what exactly uh, the, the LSE is considering in this case? So, of course, uh, trading securities on blockchain, I believe it has been already among the very first envisioned use cases. Uh, and I'm hearing uh, now, I'm hearing since many years ago uh, about the impact of uh, tokenized securities uh, there were many projects, um, I, I don't remember the exact day, but probably all of us um, that were working for a couple of years in the blockchain industry, we remember Polymath and a few other uh, projects that they were trying to create um, tokenized securities, uh, different uh, token uh, contracts, uh, but, but they got limited adoption. Uh, I will say the last two years, uh, we have uh, a total shift. Uh, one of the institutions that are, is, are responsible for uh, changing this culture and uh, I believe inspiring also a lot of uh, traditional banking institutions getting involved is the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, personally, I haven't seen any other um, institution, traditional institution, uh, investing so heavily and bringing really innovative concepts to the market. I believe they have managed to engage uh, most of uh, the global institutions, not only in Europe, but across uh, the globe. And also I have seen many great use cases in Asia. Uh, LSE is offering uh, not something groundbreaking in terms of uh, tokenized securities, I would say. Uh, and the most important uh, 
let's say from this is uh, that is a regulated institution. There is a hint though that uh, this will be enabled only if uh, they will get the necessary regulatory access. Um, I guess we need to step back and understand if uh, the existing regulation will allow uh, the trading of tokenized securities. Uh, from my perspective, there are forward-thinking regulators. Uh, definitely, for example, Luxembourg is one of them. They, uh, they already took the necessary steps in order to enable innovation, to allow traditional um, traditional securities to be uh, tokenized, create a new novel uh, mo models that will enable also uh, applications for retail and institutional vessels that we haven't envisioned. But uh, at the same time, uh, even in progressive uh, countries like UK that uh, they have an established capital, established capital markets and well recognized, we don't see that the regulation is following uh, the, the market innovation. Uh, my key, my key concern is uh, that um, always there are organizations that are lobbying against uh, innovation. They find problems where I, I see solutions uh, because they want to preserve uh, either a monopoly or because they are very they are very well established uh, players and they don't want to lose their convenience or attract uh, more competitors. So uh, w what we see here is a very uh, an established uh, player when it comes to it's one of the biggest stock exchanges, the, the London Stock Exchange. Uh, the, obviously, it depends on how, how you read the article. I mean, it's already in the subtitle is considering uses a separate entity. So already from uh, the title of the article, it hints that uh, they don't want to mix, uh, let's say, their core business uh, with this likely an innovation experiment yet. But uh, they definitely prepare for the next day. They know that this is coming, it's approaching, the market is becoming more mature and uh, they see the benefits. That's why they're investing and they're taking uh, a significant risk because it's uh, when you are um, engaging with innovation projects, you take a reputation risk, you take a, a cybersecurity risk, uh, you take a, an investment risk. There are so many risks accumulated, but th they still believe that uh, it it will create benefit for their customers. And if they create benefit for their customers, they will create also benefits uh, for the organization. From my perspective, tokenized securities uh, the most groundbreaking uh, innovation that they will introduce is they will create a new models. I was hearing um, in a presentation recently how uh, WeChat payments in Asia, the, the biggest innovation that they brought is due to the creation of different peer-to-peer -peer markets. We have uh, we have seen novel financial. Uh, um, applications that they were not existing because there was no infrastructure. So, uh, from my perspective, I'm not really keen on seeing 
what innovation established players will bring. But by, if those players create, uh, open the road for uh, re- regulated activities and create the core infrastructure, I'm quite confident that uh, new startups or uh, more innovative companies, they will create new models that we still today uh, cannot envision. Okay. It remembered me a bit like uh, uh, when Jeff Bezos uh, launched the Kindle uh, that they were selling books. <laughs> I'm joking. But <laughs> anyway, okay. So sorry. I Actually, want... no, no, no. I, I wanted to go back to one of the points of Nikolaus because this is one of the things that we were discussing mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, when, particularly when you said that uh, these uh, established players, they actually they the in one of the problems and the blocks to innovations are actually established players that they see problems or were actually using solutions uh and so when innovations is not coming it's because of they are blocking this sort of uh innovation to to come through so one of the questions that i have for you is it is it the only solution for uh whatever innovations uh is to come is it the, the big players need to adopt it or do you see any other way to go around it? So do we always have to wait like big players like the London Stock Exchange to actually go through and open the road for anyone else? I'm really curious to hear uh, also Theodora's opinion on this. Theodora. Yeah, this is an open question. Yes, yeah. it's okay. an open question. Let's start from Theodora. It is an interesting question. I think when we were writing the second book, that was one of the debates that we have too um, when we're looking at if Metaverse is going to be the next version of the internet, who will be the players, right? Will they be the same big tech companies that are dominating the space right now, i.e. the Googles, the Microsoft, and the Meta of the world? Or would it be new companies that we hadn't heard of, right? Just like how Google came about, um, or just like how Apple came about a long time ago. I think it's an interesting question. I would not completely dismiss the big players, that, that's just me, especially in this world. Because for example, go back and looking at AI, right? And the onset of AI. Now AI has been around for a long time, but looking at the latest tra- trends with generative AI, you need a lot of data. You need a lot of computation power. You need resources. You need all of those. And quite honestly, unless you have that scale and access to that resources, is really hard to get a big foothold into an evolving space. So that's why we see, you know, the the open AI, which, you know, obviously got a, a lot of cash from existing players. We see um, Apple coming out with an announcement of Vision Pro, which many criticize is still a really high price point, but that could be an evolution of what to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned your book, uh, and uh, one of the you know the the questions that we had uh, for you today, we we noticed that the metaverse economy uh, uh, after the launch has been uh, number one in the banking uh, section in uh, in Amazon for uh, for a while. So first of all, congratulations, Thank and you. Uh, we we wanted you to just to eventually tell us a little more about uh, your book and uh, and um, quickly present it uh, to our audience. Um, so, so, the, and the additionally, I would like to ask you, 
uh, even if I didn't read the, yet the book, but I could check, uh, you know, the, the chapters and, uh, and read something. I didn't finish it. But uh, in your opinion, what is still missing into the metaverse uh, uh, space? What do you think that the startup or uh, these uh, this actors should propose in order to attract more attention and eventually make the, the, the metaverse become a main, uh, mainstream? Oh, that's a really good question. How much time do you have? Um, so I, I, I will be honest. Um, we first started writing the book last year. So remember, it was summer of 2022. Um, and at that time, let's just say the space didn't really have a good reputation. And then for the whole year after, we were kind of like in, in, in a spiral, um, if you will. There were a lot of negative views on, you know, what, what our company is doing, um, as you had pointed out in the very beginning of our conversation, is it still even around or is it dead? Um, there are a lot of challenges, um, just like any other new tech paradigm, you will have challenges. So one is, um, that I briefly touched on access, access to devices, be it from a price point perspective, or be it from just a pure digital access perspective. You know, there's still millions of people who do not have access to the digital world. And even if they do, to be able to access an immersive environment, you need bandwidth, which is important and expensive to come by. So I think that that's one. Um, the user experience by itself, you know, anyone who is familiar with the space knows that it is really hard for the on-ramp um, to go from fiat to digital assets. So that's another big problem I believe that some companies are, are trying to solve because if you ask me what is my passkey I'll tell you oh wait let me look at my sticky note which is absolutely not what you want to do um, and then there's a whole question of digital identity right how do we solve that um, again there are people and companies looking at ways to make it easier to make it better to make it safe but I think there's still a lot of evolution that still needs to come by and then from the very beginning of the conversation Nicholas touched on regulation right and since we are still in such an early phase of what could be, um, that still need to be defined. And then at the end of the day, technology doesn't exist just because it's cool and sexy and shiny. You need people. And to have people and community there, you need to have use case, right? So all of those elements need to come together for it to thrive. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, I'll Thank go. You. Yeah, yeah, I, I wanna. I wanted to ask to Nicolaus. I've been thoroughly looking at your uh, at your profile, Nicolaus. You are an angel investor. That that correct? Yes, I have did uh, quite a few let's say yeah. investments the last uh, two years. I'm not sure if this makes me an angel investor. <laughs> I guess yes. <laughs> I, can, I can. I can. Yeah, you uh, about ten blockchain startups. You're saying, and uh, I, I am wondering. My question for you is, um, what what makes a project stand out for you? Of course, beyond the, the the ability of the project to to make your money back, I'm wondering if there are like some key characteristic of the project. Uh, that you look at when you decide to invest and if there is an intersection between the key characteristics and actually the ability of the project to bring uh, to make your money back 
Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Uh, I will I will say that I'm not the typical angel investor. Myself, I'm attracted by two different types of deals. The first one is come in the company early and I'm joining only if I have, let's say, the opportunity to get my hands dirty and have something concrete to, to support the team. So uh, I'm more actively involved than a typical angel investor in creating a product. This is something that drives um, and creates some excitement to me, uh, helping companies uh, setting the right foundation early and building the product. And there is also another asset class that are established projects that um, currently didn't uh, find product market fit. And uh, I like joining the team, um, let's say, with some support capital and particularly through connections, trying to revamp uh, the product for for the second asset class. Uh, I need to see an established uh, technology uh, so, so it's not just a concept or an idea. I'm more persuaded from the technology that exists. The technology has to be somehow mature in order uh, with some strategic changes uh, to be able to uh, to create synergies with uh, large corporations, but the team didn't manage to find product market fit uh, for whatever reason. Probably they were too focused on building the product and totally ignored uh, going to the market, gather feedback from the end uh, users, uh, and uh, or they totally lacked uh, the way to engage with their end customers. Uh, so when it comes to particular technologies, I was uh, mainly persuaded uh, a lot by the creator economy. This is uh, quite extended what uh, what it means. Uh, but uh, one industry that uh, I have invested heavily is more crowdsourcing. Um, I believe that uh, the next uh, phase of the web will be more collaborative. Uh, and I'm particularly excited about Uh, new uh, projects around the future of work, how we are working together, how we establish uh, non-profit organizations together, how we calculate research papers and uh, um, approach innovation. So so more particularly uh, in such type of uh, businesses, crowdsourcing uh, startups. Would you be able to share a couple example of uh, in particular crowdsourcing that stand out to you? Yes. Uh, for example, uh, this might not be the perfect example, but uh, there was uh, right now AI, I consider AI and particularly data in order to train AI as an asset class itself and companies that have rich data sets, they are able to, they have a strong advantage. There are many companies that have uh, thousands, if not millions of um, micro workers around the the world. Uh, I know there will be a big uh, debate around exploitation of employees in emerging uh, economies. 
but uh, from my perspective, I see that a lot of those companies, crowdsourcing startups, um, are giving opportunities for side income revenue or sometimes this revenue that is considered, let's say, um, low in terms of uh, USA or particularly European economies, but uh, it it could um, totally replace or sometimes could exceed income that could be generated in local economies that are not, let's say, web-related. Uh, because uh, right now when it comes to rates of software developers, uh, I see that the market uh, somehow finds a way to, to create a balance even for, let's say, Uh, remote workers from countries like uh, Sri Lanka or others that have definitely lower um, income uh, from countries like Switzerland. If you are a very good developer, you can even get market rates despite uh, your location. So uh, to summarize, uh, one application that this crowdsourcing application is uh, companies that have uh, and maintain Um, thousands or million of uh, web workers that uh, train different algorithms. For example, they are used heavily in training geospatial uh, data or um, in autonomous driving. Um, they, they are trying to explain to train the algorithms in order to recognize. Uh, different behaviors of the car and uh, the road, uh, the road. So uh, they they can train uh, the software that will really change the way that we commute in a few years from now, or actually it's happened already. Okay, thank you, thank you, Nico. Uh, yes, Sildura, I just wanted to, to go back uh, on what you do at uh, Unconventional Ventures. Uh, maybe you can explain this because I, 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 I don't know it, so that's why uh, I'm, I'm interested to go uh, deeper in this. And you basically, it's a venture and you work in the banking sector and you are based in Washington, D.C., if I'm correct, which yes. is not exactly known for its large banking sector. So, you know, how how, how does it play? Is it from a you know, regulation perspective, extra? But yeah, let's start with unconventional ventures. So, yeah, so it is a company I started, gosh, about seven years ago now, I think. Um, and it came out from my work in nonprofit. So I used to work in a large nonprofit that's based in D.C. And um, it is a largest nonprofit in the entire United States that look at um, the uh, what do we do for older adults, right? And so my work there um, for almost three years was looking at creating an ecosystem of tech builders, innovators, um, banks, um, policymakers, uh, VCs, if you will, that want to do something different for older adults, for people as we get older, Um, how do we enable financial security? Because at the end of the day, we know we are all getting older. That doesn't change. That that happens since we're age one. Um, we're also living longer. On average, we live about 30 years longer um, compared to early 1900s. So how do, you, how do you make use of that extra 30 healthy living years um, that our parents didn't have? And so that was, that was the gist of the company is looking at how can we use technology for good? How can we look at 
what people need as we get older and create better solutions. Because typically um, banks like to chase after the younger generation because the perception is that the younger ones are more inclined to use technology, whereas the older ones are all just sitting home watching TV, which cannot be further from the truth because we, you look at the people that um, created all of the tech that we're using right now. Most of them are actually older. I myself is turning 50 this year. And if anyone's going to come and say, hey, you know, you're 50, you're not going to use tech. I'll be like, sorry, I wrote my first line of code when I was in high school. So um, that that's the gist of the company. And then from there, it expanded more into financial inclusion on a larger scale, um, looking at how can we help different demographics of people get access to better banking services. So for example, to the question that earlier, Frank, you asked Nicola on, um, you know, some of the examples, one of the ones that, you know, seems really interesting that we start looking at is Good Dollar. So Good Dollar is a uh, crypto UBI that's looking at how can we create a sustainable uh, system for people to draw money from, um, and and those are really really interesting engagements that you know without blocking technology without blockchain technology that couldn't have happened. So, how can we use technology for good? Is the central thesis of what we do. Amazing. I have always been saying, to be honest, entire my entire life that I entered technology with the idea to try to use it to change something and uh, uh, you know uh, produce something good for humanity. One of the things that I truly believe and I and I am uh, uh, not afraid to say it again here on this podcast probably I said in other you know occasions is that one of the cancers of the IT industry that somehow is where all you know the technology happens is the body rental model you know these uh, big uh, companies that just are uh, uh, you know uh, greedy enough to hire hire whoever on the market just because of uh, you know the idea of uh, um, uh, giving them out in consultancy. Lasting Dynamics is extremely against this kind of model. We are uh, towards uh, teamwork, uh, towards uh, people collaborating, working together to solve a problem. And eventually, even our business model is made to create a kind of partnership with the, with the, each uh, partner, each customer. Uh, so that we could uh, uh, grow together, you know, solving a problem and developing something for for uh, uh, the expansion of a group or eventually even of the human being. That is when you arrive at the Elon Musk level, probably. <laughs> but uh, but the uh, but uh, but yes, I love the idea that uh, finally on this show we are also talking about these topics. It's uh, genuinely one of the best uh, things that uh, that this season uh, can uh, can propose. So Frank, you were about to say something. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, inter- no interruption. I actually wanted to thank uh, Theodora for sharing the uh, the example because uh, and, and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper because uh, by looking at your profile, quite impressive, I'd say uh, you, you had a you, you have a lot of um, uh, experience in advertising to startups and so since you shared an example already i was wondering if you had more to share that uh where you see, where you've seen blockchain technology had a, an impactful um uh well had a, a big impact uh, yeah. i would say not only blockchain eventually even just a web3 related projects or uh, nfts that uh, we have a couple of yeah. funny contents later to see on nfts that... should i be worried <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a funny concept. Um, I think another one that was really interesting. Um, now I don't know much about them other than what I read about them, um, which I'm sure you guys have heard of is Stella. Do you know Stella? Yeah. So they were yeah, they were working with um the UN refugee agency to try to look at not not try, but they actually did um use uh digital cash di- distribution to people who are displaced. I think um one of the use cases they did was uh Ukraine. Um mm. there are a hundred million people in this world that are displaced one way or another. And and I think that number is going to go higher, not just from conflicts, but also from climate change, right? And so when people have to move from one country to another, the first thing that always comes to mind is how do they get access to financial services? It's really hard because I, I saw it firsthand when um, my family moved to New York from Hong Kong. You basically had to start over. Whatever life that it is that you had, now you got a new identity in a new country. You had no access to credit. You had no access to practically anything. Um, and so I... I looked at this particular project with a lot of interest because it's it's fascinating to be able to a dispense money to the hand of those people who need it because you know they are in a desperate situation and they can also do it without bank accounts they didn't have to have a credit card debit card and they can convert those coins into us dollars euros or wherever they are at moneygram location so i think those are really good use cases um, if you will, of of technology. And another one of my favorite is Hive Online. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Um, so I actually referenced them in both of my books, Beyond Good and uh, Metaverse Economy. And um, so what they do is they look at the smallhold farmers in Africa. So one of the last ones that they um, were talking about is in Mozambique, because half of them were only paid in cash. And so when you transact in cash, you don't really have a digital record to say, hey, I am credit worthy because I have done X. You don't have that. And so what Hyphaline does is they work with the farmer groups and digitize the financial records, digitize agricultural records um, and put them on. So they actually have access to more. And I think lately they are also um, on the regulatory sandbox. They're, they're working with the central bank of Mozambique um, to expand this. And I, I think those are, again, interesting cases of using technology for financial inclusion. And a lot of the people that they're helping are women. Thanks, Teodora. Okay, so time for some uh, content. Uh, yeah, okay, I cannot uh, refrain myself from starting with this one. It's, it's just a... Uh, of a probably funny, but at the same time, a bit of a tragic uh, thing that happened. Uh, not that tragic, of course, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, this for him. <laughs> yeah, not for him, for sure. Let's uh, let's look at it. And I I want to start uh, yeah. from, uh, from this. So it starts with imaging uh, throwing away $350 million. Uh, this is about a guy that had uh, Bitcoins in 2013 and then uh, he lost all of his Bitcoin some, uh, somehow. In 2013, a British man accidentally threw away a hard drive. It contained 7,500 Bitcoin. Fast forward to today, the crypto inside that hard drive is worth more than $350 million. His name is James Howells. He's an IT worker from Wales. Over the past eight years, he's been on a mission to find that hard drive by digging through his local dump. But so far, no luck. 
Yeah, he's literally digging all around. Uh, his... I, I, I had a similar case. I have a friend uh, from university. I uh, so I took the chance for uh, for uh, saying uh, hi, Francesco, and uh, and uh, yeah, um, well, uh, that uh, that is quite of a of a similar situation. And it was uh, very, you know, the idea that you could have. Uh, uh, you know, uh, predict uh, the value of uh, the Bitcoin. I remember that uh, they were mining, and uh, uh, some of the the, the pioneers of uh, of this uh, uh, of this uh, cryptocurrency, when it was worth nothing, probably twenty five cents or or even less, um, and then discovering several years uh, later that somehow you lost either this or that, or you don't find it like it happened with. Yeah, well, that uh, that needs to be a, a nightmare. I'm I'm really sorry for uh, for these guys. So what, what what do you think? Uh, this is quite a very famous uh, uh, story, of course. Also the the pizza one we heard. Let's start from uh, Nico. Yes, um, actually, I believe uh, probably with smaller amounts happened to pretty much everyone who was involved really early in the blockchain uh, economy. It happened also to me, but obviously with a very a small amount. Uh, <laughs> comparing to the figures that we see here. Um, I, I wouldn't be that concerned about this. It happened mainly because uh, we're not well-educated and at that time there were not that many resources emphasizing on self-custody or uh, you know, too many tutorials, uh, onboarding of new users or even trusted uh, custodians. Uh, right now, the situation is totally different. I feel that the great majority of users um, have uh, good knowledge uh, when they are setting up a Web3 wallet. Obviously, no, non-IT people might find it still challenging and there is definitely space for better onboarding, uh, more user-friendly uh, improvements in the UI weeks of uh, blockchain apps. I believe this is a discussion that still taking today that most of the blockchain apps have totally crap UI UX and I'm not sure if this is intentional or we cannot find in the industry great um, UI UX professionals. Um, Yes, uh, I'm not that concerned to to summarize right now. We have uh, trusted custodians, people, they understand the benefits of uh, self-custody. And uh, at the same time, we see also managed uh, um, custody while they preserve, let's say, some parts of uh, your key, your secret keys. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not that concerned. This is the summary. Nico, uh, the, um, I don't know if you really want to answer this question, but uh, what is your suggestion uh, uh, to to defend against, uh, you know, the, the, not to defend it, but to to keep your own uh, cryptocurrencies? Let's make it even more uh, more precise. Uh, how do you, where do you store your cryptocurrencies? No, I'm joking. <laughs> it, it, it really it really depends. No, I mean, we can answer. It doesn't have to be about me. Obviously, using a hardware wallet uh, is uh, the, the best advice someone can, can give the, these days. Uh, but at the same time, if someone has a small amount and he's not familiar, let's say, um, with the tech, so, so I have, let's say, uh, one friend who has invested a small amount, 
Uh, she's coming from totally different background uh, from IT. And the amount itself doesn't justify the effort, uh, you know, or, um, you know, the investment in order to know how to use it and uh, keep her uh, private keys uh, secure and such. So uh, I'm always suggesting to, to those people who don't have big investment to just find a trusted uh, custodian. But uh, it's not difficult at the end of the day if you, if you have basic... Uh, let's say, skills uh, on how to use uh, uh, different tech devices uh, and spend a few hours, you will definitely figure out yourself. Nico, do we have an estimate about how many Bitcoins uh, have been forever lost? Mm, I I don't have uh, a personal estimate, but definitely there are different reports and uh, some... uh, um, I I don't have the latest figure, but I will say that... uh, it could be a significant amount. Definitely, we know that uh, the founder of Bitcoin had, uh, if he's, let's say, dead and he will never come to the surface uh, again, uh, he has a, a very significant amount, if I'm not wrong, is uh, more than uh, almost a million. It has to be around a million. Uh, with a Google search, we can find out immediately. Yeah. Uh, so it's a significant amount. So pirates of uh, Bitcoin sooner or later will come out. Someone that is trying to discover the 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 treasure, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but that uh, might become a, a scenario. Theodora, uh, it, it reminds me of uh, you know how in the old days people put um, cash in shoe boxes and they stuff it under the bed and they forgot about it or between walls. I. <laughs> I I when when I first heard that story, um, I thought it's uh, actually you probing yourself. Make sure that you don't forget about your uh, Tiffany NFT or whatever it is, uh, CryptoPunk NFT that you bought yourself. Um, I don't know. It's a is an interesting question, but I don't own any, so I don't have to worry. <laughs> That's a good way to defend against the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't own any. Okay. Um, fantastic so let's move to something a little more uh, interesting I would say that uh, this video uh, caught our attention Uh, as usual I introduce it a bit okay for those that are just listening the the podcast uh, and not watching it Um, so on the left side first of all we have two twins two uh, twins in this uh, uh, in this video on the left side uh, the the first uh, uh, girl is uh, announcing the web 2.0 classic super famous uh, uh, technologies uh, i would say applications not uh, not technologies sorry uh, and on the right side the sister is uh, uh, saying uh, the uh, the the web 3 uh, um, you know alter ego uh, okay, let's uh, listen to it first and then uh, make some considerations. Chrome, Spotify, Audius, YouTube, Odyssey, Google, Research, WhatsApp, Status, PayPal, MetaMask, Robinhood, Nestify. Okay, so uh, 
they uh, speak about this like the most uh, simple thing in the world. It, it starts with Chrome, that is Google, literally. And then they mention a pre-search okay. in this case. Okay, so uh, my question for uh, for uh, for everyone uh, and uh, and eventually my course can can help us uh, uh, developing more the topic is uh, uh, is this uh, web 3.0 something that will really replace the the web 2.0 because for for those that don't know it of course uh, it's just a decentralized web uh, with the libraries and the apis that allow to use a blockchain based uh, application rather than uh, the classic client server architecture you know for uh, 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 that has been abused for uh, for uh, for so long uh, in the development of uh, web and uh, mobile or whatever application. So what I'm trying to say here is, uh, literally on the left side we have some of the most known uh, titans of the market that probably will not disappear that easily. <laughs> I'm not expecting a Chrome to disappear. I'm not expecting a Spotify to disappear. And on the right side we have uh, either some of pioneers of uh, of this sphere or eventually something that uh, has a certain relevance in a niche you know industry so uh let's start uh, from nico what is your uh, your opinion about this it reminds me a recent tweet uh, i'm not sure if i can share somehow that uh, at least web3 founders that are spending most of their time um you know tweeting um that they should start by using, you know, for different components of their companies, uh, Web3 or, let's say, blo blockchain alternatives. If we are investors in the industry or people who are building in the industry, there is no excuse for us to not support, um, let's say, blockchain um, alternatives to Web2 applications that uh, at least when those are available and they are decent. Um, now, uh, it's not a simple yes or no question that uh, Metamask uh, could replace PayPal uh, or, uh, you know, Audius can change Spotify. Uh, particularly for Audius, I can say that uh, they definitely have some solid technology, but Spotify as a business, it's not only the technology, it's most probably the most valuable asset of Spotify is the partnerships that they have with the creators, who, with the singers, um, artists in general who are uh, posting podcasts there, they are posting their music or other, let's say, uh, creative work so mm -hmm. uh, establishing just an alternative itself it doesn't mean that uh, it has the prospects uh, to, to replace it needs a more coordinated uh, effort web3 startups have uh, a significant advantage over uh, web3 uh, usually most of the web3 startups they use let's say utility tokens so they have a medium in order to incentivize their very first users. Um, I will say that if uh, if an app is trying right now to overtake YouTube 
obviously it's possible TikTok has proved that uh, nobody's too big you know to to compete but uh, l- let's say if someone is trying to establish something very similar with little innovation is probably very difficult if they don't have tons of venture capital money to to support them to attract their very first users except if they have some viral marketing let's say skills on the other side uh, web3 startups they have this uh, this uh, incentive they can use utility tokens or other type um, incentives to onboard both users creators or depending on, on the use case um I'm not sure if uh, we do it properly. Uh, we see, for example, airdrops that are supposed to incentivize participation in a blockchain protocol that are totally botted. There are different uh, airdrop farms that uh, are creating different bots. So at the end of the day, the real users that will make impact and could compete with Web2 apps uh, they get no no value. Mm. Uh, probably w- what is missing is explaining to the users that it's not only the incentive that they get right now in order to get started, but most people they think you know, I will say with short term benefits uh, instead of long term, is that they practically co-own the, this app. Uh, probably if you are also following the invest invest bros or finance bros on TikTok, uh, that if you have bought like a Tesla 10 years ago, if you have bought Tesla stocks uh, 10 years ago, uh, now worth, I don't know, a few millions, uh, and uh, they bought the Tesla instead, um, and you know probably it lost after a couple of years most of uh, its value. I, I see that we fail as an industry to explain this to the users that by by joining and investing in a Web3 ecosystem, they they also co-own the success of the protocol. If they keep and maintain those tokens, are very likely to grow in value. If, if there is like real value and not just uh, speculation because also a lot of tokens are just speculation yeah. and most probably most users and users they, they don't really understand this concept yet Elora? I think one of the um, biggest challenge that we have with creating new platforms for example Socialfy is community at the end of the day a social media network regardless of tech infrastructure it exists because there are people in there right and so as much as you know some of us might really do not like to stay on a certain app that might had a bird in there um people still get on it because that's where people are you want you need a medium for people to exchange ideas. Artists, when they load something, they need people to access them, but also buy them, support them. And I think that is one fundamental challenge, regardless of which brand that they need to solve is how do they bring the people, how do they bring the community to the platform? I like the ethos of ownership, right? That you know the, the creator themselves, they actually own the assets and they get, a much fairer share and payout. I think those are important um, in terms of um, monetization, in terms of 
who gets what. So, you know, for example, when you post something, um, as we have learned, we don't own what we post. The, the social network can actually remove that particular piece of whatever it is that we create. So those are important development, I think, in, in the Web3 world that is prompting a lot of these new companies that's looking at how can we do better? Um, but we still need to solve the how do you bring people on board? How do you remove that friction so that more people will come on so that it's easier for people to use? Yes, indeed. I, I totally agree. The onboarding uh, uh, procedure is usually the, the hardest one for every new application, not only in the Web3 sphere, even in the Web2 sphere. So uh, um, that's the classic challenge that uh, most of the time makes the, the, the startups fails, uh, even if they validated the, you know, the, the business model and the idea, not necessarily they will succeed in onboarding the amount of users that uh, uh, would uh, uh, you know satisfy the their uh, their initial analysis and uh, and reach uh, the amount needed you know for becoming a famous application or one of the unicorns new unicorns on the on the market. Um, Cyril, you you found uh, quite of an interesting uh, article uh, uh, yesterday that is the market uh, capitalization <laughs> of uh, the meta. Do you want in to introduce it? Yes. So basically, we, we, we have this question is how much, uh, what is the market value of Web3 compared to what we call Web2? So of mm -hmm. course, you know, depending on exactly what you you, you call uh, each one of them, uh, the figures will differ. But we were shocked when we saw that figure because so Web2, so the so, so Web we use every day, but it was about 15 billion, 15 trillion dollars. So that's uh, market capitalization as October 2021. And Web3, uh, excluding meta and gaming, uh, was at uh, uh, so that 0 0.03. So that should be around 30 million dollars. No, 1 trillion. No, uh, 30, 30, well, a very low number. Uh, uh, 0 0.03 trillion. Yeah. How much is that? Yeah, that's still a lot of money, but considerably less. Um, and uh, of course, you have Meta, so a part of Meta are uh, 900 billion dollars. Um, and gaming industry, so uh, at two trillion dollars, so quite a quite a, a nice number, but these are profitable businesses. Yeah. Um, I was shocked because I expected Web3 to have attracted far more investment, even if, you know, it's 30, 30 billion. 30 billion is very yeah. respectable as a as business. Uh, do you have an explanation, uh, Nicolas, Nicolas or uh, Theodora, about these discrepancies, if we can say it this way? You know, what I mean by this is maybe, you know, we call a share of voice very often, you know, and for for a few years, like Web3, Metaverse, extra, there's a share, their share of voice in the media uh, has, has been everywhere on uh, overpowered Web2. Uh, but when we look at the reality of where people put their money, it's not the case. I actually wouldn't worry too much um, because everything is cyclical, right? Just like how FinTech 
investment has been cyclical in the last few years as well. And, you know, the numbers that we see this year in fintech investment is lower than how it was when it was high. But I think the reality is because the space is still really new. Um, and companies want to put the money where a lot of the hype is. And the hype of this year is not Web3. The hype of the year is generative AI. Um, now, whether or not that is, um, you know, how how the future will look like, I don't know. But, you know, things do go up and down. So I don't think um, this is a fair comparison, first of all. <laughs> it's still really new. And second of all, I don't think it is indicative of how the future could be. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't implying that this indicates the future. I was saying, like, uh, uh, once again, you know, in terms of share of voice, mm-hmm. um, this wasn't yeah represented, as you said, where investors put their money, uh, clearly, while not at that point. But that was, uh, uh, I see that was an interesting graph. Uh, it's 2021, this one. Yeah. Then we have uh, to understand like... in two years how it moved, you know. In... I wonder how it is right now. Yeah, I wonder the same. Uh, I would be shocked, honestly, to discover that this had drastically improved because uh, <laughs> that uh, that easy. But uh, but uh, generally speaking, yeah, it seems uh, that what you say this uh, is part of the. Uh, you mentioned the generative AI. I can say even superconductors. <laughs> that was another, you know, trend of um... Nico. What do you think? Uh, personally, I'm not that concerned about uh, the number. Uh, when it comes to the market size um, of uh, Metaverse Web3 right now, I see it's 5.6 billion. Uh, so um, I can't see really well the number here, but uh, definitely looks uh, quite smaller it's, from... It's 30 billion, 003 trillion. Yeah, so right now the figure according to CoinGecko is uh, 5.66 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, historically Web3 or blockchain companies are not good making money for investors. Uh, I, I don't know many profitable you know, Web3 companies except uh, centralized crypto exchanges. And uh, yeah, so this could really explain well uh, why Meta uh, has this uh, valuation. But uh, let's not uh, become just you know among those speculative speculation guys that they are saying that uh, oh no, only Web three companies will succeed. Meta is investing really heavily. They, they even changed their name. To, uh, from Facebook to to Meta to uh, let's say better uh, adopt such technologies. They are most likely uh, the biggest investor when it comes to the metaverse. So uh, I will say that this is definitely positive for uh, strong believers that metaverse will become bigger and bigger. That uh, uh, Meta, despite the heavy losses that. Uh, they are having. They keep investing without uh, changing their strategy. Obviously, uh, AI right now has disrupted pretty much everything, and everyone is dropping projects just to allocate more resources to investing in AI, w- which is well justified. 
But yeah, they are still among the, the biggest investor. Mm. Apple in comparison uh, hasn't invested uh, much in the metaverse. That's a, that, you make two good points. First one, this is market capitalization. So we don't see all the investments in Web3. Okay. Uh, and the second point is, this is very much focused on the consumer market. They say we don't have the business metaverse or the industrial metaverse. And as we know, the industrial metaverse is the most advanced of all the metaverses. And we don't see, for example, uh, uh, NVIDIA capitalization in it. We don't see Bentley systems. Uh, capitalizations in it. Uh, we don't see ABB, Siemens, etc. We are big players in the industrial metaverse. They are not represented on this uh, uh, graph. So that's a good point. That's that's really one aspect of the uh, of the Web three and metaverse. It's a uh, uh, consumer metaverse uh, on the market. Basically, yeah. you're absolutely correct. It's not just about consumers. I think the the biggest opportunity it will come from the business world. Um, it does no doubt about that. Just look, just look at you know where companies are going right now. And, and Sarah, you just pointed out a few good examples. And even um, last year when we talked to Microsoft, for example, Microsoft is 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 that was first of all not not someone that initially we thought, oh, you know, it could be interesting. But their viewpoint is think about business productivity and think about how we will collaborate, interact with other people. It's more than just gaming. It's more than these, you know, clunky goggles that you're going to be wearing, even uh, though it might be sleeker in in the Apple Vision Pro world. Imagine being able to be in an environment that you can interact in an immersive manner with people from the other side of the world using the applications that you have, but not needing special equipment, having everything projected out for you. Um, surgeons learning how to do procedures remotely. Um, so those are really, really interesting use cases and examples that are really real that people are testing right now that I think it can have far more potential and adoption than just consumers. Mm. Education as well. Education, Education. Is probably one of the best uh, applications for uh, for the metaverse is uh, reinventing uh, the, the paradigm, I would say uh but uh, but yeah i just wanted to spend a few words in on the meta topic i i, I actually think that everyone is saying okay facebook uh, changed the name to meta at the same time we had uh, um you know tiktok coming then uh, twitter with now elon musk x and uh, so probably they are struggling a bit than ai then they started to advertise more on ai than than on uh, on the metaverse again i want to say that uh, Apple Vision Pro is probably the confirmation that uh, the validation of the idea and of the market in the way that uh, Meta is a kind of a pioneer in that direction. They did it uh, very aggressively, uh, way much earlier than when Apple could enter the game. And we know that when Apple enters the game with a product, a new product, something is changing for real. If I remember about the iPhone, I say tons of times, but back in time, the the the, the Mac. Uh, um uh book the mac pro any kind of you know uh computer so so definitely meta has something to to say that that we still don't understand that we still don't uh can, cannot really predict and uh that they, for sure they see more than uh than us uh we also have some content actually about meta but frank wanted to say something uh, well actually 
It was a question for okay. Theo Theodora, but she already answered. Uh, I was going to ask her if uh, she speaks uh, in her book about the two different faces of the metaverse, the business side and the consumer side, but uh, she already gave us uh, the answer pretty much. Yeah, that was the fascinating point, you know, because I spent quite a bit of time talking to people that are building this outside of the US and outside of Europe. And the sense of optimism was amazing. And the things that they're actually trying out was fascinating. There's a huge ecosystem in South Korea, for example, that they're actively doing a lot of things. Um, and there are big ecosystems in you know, Hong Kong and Singapore that they're also trying different things. Uh, Michelle, earlier you're talking about education. So one of the universities in Hong Kong is actually building a metaverse that bridge students from Hong Kong and China together, creating a different environment for them to learn. So those are really interesting applications that allow us to transcend the physical barriers that we have. And and actually that's where I'm, you know, I think it will be more fun than telling me, oh, I'm just gonna be sitting in Roblox with my kids for 12 hours a day. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, I was gonna, I yeah. was gonna just add, um one thing uh, i was thinking that these episodes is about web3 blockchain and nft but i, I think we've only mentioned nfts when you've introduced the episode <laughs> and and this is a quite interesting because everyone is now saying that nfts are dead right which actually it's what is also happening on on the episode and, and the, the reasons why they say it is is because of market saturations because of fraud because of the big systems like uh, yeah. um, have collapsed and so what are your views? And this is an open question on, on the NFTs. And we also have a, a piece of content. We that, have Elon uh, Musk telling pretty much what he thinks about NFTs. Yeah, and, uh, they are quite opposing. So Elon yeah, Musk. Two different uh, yes. perspectives. Uh, maybe before we go into that, uh, we can ask the views. Yeah, of, of the definitely. Guests. Open questions, uh, Theodora, Nikolaus, whoever wants to go. I think it's fascinating if you look at um, what some of the big fashion brands are doing. That caught me by surprise. I was in a retail conference in New York City beginning of the year. And um, the head of Louis Vuitton, he was on stage and he was talking about how they're investing so much in NFT as a way for people to have ownership um, beyond the physical handbag for example or um, similar with uh, Tiffany I believe they came up with an NFT in parallel to a special design that they have um, like I said earlier I don't own one but I see the appeal of people wanting one uh, is an identity by itself right is an extension of identity I am my ape and my ape is me um, so I, I can see how people want to gravitate towards that Nikolaus, you can share your opinion or we can actually go to the content first. Hey, let's go to the content first because I don't have any strong opinions at the moment. Okay, okay. We'll see that Elon Musk actually uh, has... Elon Musk has quite a strong opinion on the topic, I would say. Let's see what he, what he says. Okay, so he never mentions NFTs in this video, but if you search on uh, on Google, on YouTube, everywhere on uh, on social media, you will figure out that uh, the name of this video is Elon Musk is talking about NFTs. <laughs> okay, so everyone thinks he's actually referring to that. Then eventually maybe talks about uh, 
something else, but uh, we will figure out. Let's listen, Elon Musk. Now, let me uh, just break it to you, the, the fools out there. If you don't make stuff, there's no stuff. Yeah. So if you don't make the food, if you don't process the food, you don't transport the food, and the, well, the, the, whether, you know, medical treatment, getting, getting your teeth fixed, or there's, there's no stuff. I would become detached from reality. You, you can't just legislate money and, and solve these things. If you don't make stuff, there is no stuff. This is the guy that was pushing the Dodgy coin, by the way. So just to, just to 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 say, what, what do you think? Let uh, Nico, do you have uh, an an opinion on the on this video? What, what do you think? Yeah, actually, a lot of people, you know, are uh, challenging ideas um, or you know advocate for particular uh, concepts. Um, I believe what Elon is suggesting is go build things. And uh, let, let's say be part of the discussion by building, uh, I, I believe, uh, particularly in tech, uh, we, it's easy, you know, to criticize and say that this is not useful, this is, um, you know, ad, ad doesn't add much value. But uh, what he is saying is go build things, try, try to make things, uh, you know, uh, to improve them. And this is definitely a mentality that I'm sharing. If you don't like something, go try to change it. Let's see. Let's see. Good, uh, good uh, perspective, uh, Theodora. Not safe for work. <laughs> I would refrain from comments. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I think Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. I think the, the NFTs aspect is, is interesting because, yes, of course, yes, there's all the board apps, you know, uh, NFTs and stuff that went for ridiculous prices. But once again, you know, as uh, Theodora mentioned, the real use cases are on the business side. And NFT is used to prove uh, the ownership and the trustability of uh, microchips, for example. So there are some real applications in the real world that, you know, these applications are not mainstream, so people don't know them. Uh, but they are not linked to the uh, ownership of something, but as a proof of ownership of a stuff, as mm -hmm. Elon would say. Yeah, or or give you special special access to events and things like that. Um, I do think there are, there are value in things even if you can create them. People associate value to things. I'll give you a very simple example. I'll give you a dollar bill, a US dollar, one dollar. Mm -hmm. Why is it a dollar? Ah. It, it You assign value to something, mm -hmm. right? And it's no different for NFT. You assign value to something. Either is an emotional value because you have an attachment to it, or you it's, it's by means of an identity, Right, economic identity, but at the end of the day, you assign something to it. Um, I, I think it's very easy to dismiss an entire swath of app, um, than actually trying to dig deeper to see what you can do with it. Market demand uh, as well uh, can yes. be if uh, many people recognize a value in something, and then of course it has a value. 
uh, what value it brings to the economy, then that is another another matter, and uh, is probably uh, focused a lot in that uh, in that direction. I I just want to share my uh, as well my my opinion on NFTs because yes, of course uh, we know that NFTs uh, have been ranging from ticket to access uh, uh, important events to unlock content into video games or uh, metaverse and uh, uh, eventually uh art uh, that was one of the first uh, uh, applications you know of uh, nft but uh, when when i registered the trademark of my company or when i registered uh, you know got the certification for uh, iso 9001 or uh, 27001 i had a very crappy experience you know dealing with these entities the idea that you have to register your uh, your uh, trademark in Italy, Spain, uh, I don't know, Germany, and then also in Europe, and then uh, again in USA, and then again, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, in Asia, because otherwise they ah, come on. What is that? That is something that doesn't work. So simple, not to to identify for any, for anyone. I would say that uh, uh, finds uh, so so the NFT was. Uh, when I the very first time I started to read about NFT a long time ago, I immediately thought about this can be the solution for uh, such uh, you know uh, uh, problems. The idea that your trademark could become an NFT or uh, the certification uh, um, you know uh, that expires eventually in five years uh, be bound to an, an NFT that brings uh, physical value, solves the problem that can be recognized uh, across uh, a whole system, uh, you know, decentralized system uh, without uh, being needed to talk with the different regulators, etc. And at the same time, uh, um, eventually also give you some uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, value uh, in directly in the Web3 space uh, with a library with a Web3 website, you could show uh, the actual you know uh, uh, instance of your certification directly on your website without the need to download and send a PDF or eventually send a link to this to that. Come on, I mean, uh, I, I want to see this happening. I like it so much that that is the my you know value for uh, for the uh, for the nft uh world frank nfts uh, any thoughts related to uh, nfts not many more than what uh elon <laughs> musk elon musk shared but uh, we have another piece of content which is more like uh, optimistic yeah so this one uh, as far as i understand says that nft goes beyond you know the classic applications that we have uh, been experiencing uh, nowadays with uh, in, in the past years probably so let's uh, let's uh, listen people talk about nfts right mm -hmm. and most people when they talk about nfts they miss the point they think it's pictures yeah. has nothing to do with pictures has nothing people are saying stuff like well i could just right click and save the picture like you say that you have zero idea what nfts are you don't even know the thing is nfts eventually will be the thing that allows you to go to a baseball game, that allows you to go to an event, Somebody that allows you to have access to, imagine there was one thing that would allow you access to anything in life. Yeah. That's where NFTs are going. It's all in the blockchain. You know what I mean? Because there's too much room for error yeah. in other ways of doing things. Like the blockchain doesn't lie. If you own the contract, if, if it's in your wallet, if it's on your whatever, that's it. There's no customer error. Yeah. There's no, oh, argument over that it is what it is and that's what's great about it yep. and so that's where the world's gonna go okay um thoughts who wants to start 
since more this is mm, pretty much pretty, what we said until yeah, now. yeah. The, theodora mentioned uh, this on the events bit maybe we could even uh make a link with uh the uh what we were talking about in the beginning of the post podcast about the green uh the, um green shift green the green shifts exactly the tokenization of uh of uh, of uh, energy credits of the to prove your own uh, your ownership stake absolutely into, uh, um, renewable energy projects and so on and so forth. So the this is probably yeah. where this this is going. Yeah, the certification can be an NFT. While instead on the blockchain, you can uh, check the whole uh, history of uh, transactions. Actually, you know, even with the the private office of the Al Maktoum family uh, in uh, in Dubai, where we have been uh, uh, working on for a while, and this is a project for the upcoming years, uh, was exactly saying, okay, we we need to uh, establish. Uh, uh, an entity, a legal entity that will take care of this, but let's do directly with the best technology that we have on the table directly. Okay. And, um, and I believe that this project is going to be extremely successful. Other thoughts before we move to the last uh, uh, steps of our uh, episode? Yes. No, <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, sorry for this. Um, I just want to emphasize that NFT is just a token standard. I, a token standard is a, a software, so it's not a speculation. A, a NFT is, a, you know, as a concept is how people are developing applications using a certain software. Um, it's the, it's just let's say a tool to facilitate different uh, business concepts uh, regarding uh, art uh, obviously uh, even when it comes to art there are many people who are saying no I'm not investing in art it's a pure speculation myself I don't understand uh, art because um, uh, I'm not an expert I haven't spent much time and most probably uh, I wouldn't invest in, in expensive art uh, while there might be opportunities or uh, let's say very expensive uh, fashion clothing because uh, I'm trying to invest in things that have let's say uh, utility this is among my investment thesis so um but I understand perfectly people who are investing in art and the value that they see. So if someone is buying a collectible for an X amount of money, I cannot say that it's poor speculation. Probably I don't have the knowledge, skills to appreciate this piece of art. And... Or for different reasons, uh, it's not in, let's say, within my investment budget. But um, I definitely see real-world applications for NFTs. Uh, for example, you mentioned already about uh, the IP rights. Uh, even European institutions, I believe the UIPO, uh, has already used uh, NFT technology in order to... Um, register patterns or at least they have experimented a, a bit with it i'm not sure if it's on production or not there are definitely press releases if you check around i see tons of value in the gaming space uh, that uh, people were um, let's say forced by big corporations to just trade within uh, the games and overnight they could be banned. Uh, it's still happening, you know, I'm not sure if you are following um, the news about um, 
different let's say uh, gaming marketplaces that that they ban overnight uh, the, their players who get caught to transact outside of the platform so, so uh, th- there are definitely utilities with uh, a lot of value now if there are some particular use cases that typically are those that attract the publicity and not let's say the good ones uh, uh, it's not that the technology itself is speculation, probably, and uh, definitely there were certain, uh, let's say, showcased examples that they were poor speculation and they didn't add much value and they attracted a lot of bad publicity, but it's not the whole industry like that. Yodora, yeah. in Cyril, I know you wanted to say something too. No, yeah. no, it, it, it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and say <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. I'm speaking on top of everyone. I think the the I I the only one thing I more I wanted to add was when we think about what this piece of software or technology enable is one of the things is financial inclusion, and that's the one I keep hammering on people. What else can it do? Is more than fun? Is more than you know hype? Some a lot of people think of it as hype. Think about people that are creating all of these assets in in the digital space. And now they have a way to prove that they are the ones who created it. They can get money from it. And perhaps one day we can actually change the way we assess credit risk and perhaps extend additional financial services to this new world of creators. Right, because that's what a lot of these technologies about. We keep going back to the old paradigm on, well, you know, you're risky because you didn't do X, or you're risky because the mode that you work is not does not give you a stable paycheck every two weeks. You don't own a house, you don't do all of these. But this is a brand new paradigm that allow us to think of risk differently, that allow us to extend credit to people differently. So it's opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sure. No, I just wanted to make a comment about who was the speaker on the latest video. It's uh, it's Dan Henry. It's a uh, it's an entrepreneur, but more on the uh, agency marketing uh, services side in the in, in the US. Uh, a, a bit like uh, our friend Gary V. Something mm-hmm. so on, on, on the similar market, and Gary V is also known for investing a lot in NFTs and Web three and stuff like this. So it seems that there is a movement in the U.S. from a, a particular audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very briefly before uh, closing this episode, I think I wanted to go through some uh, uh, articles. Actually, we have only five. Very briefly, this one says Bitcoin uh, ATMs. Uh, what you need to know before buying Bitcoin at an ATM. So buying crypto doesn't have to involve dealing with the complicated exchanges. In some places, there are ATM machines designed specifically for facilitating transactions. Um, comments on this? I mean, who knew? I, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that. You, like, you buy, you... you literally buy Bitcoin. It's not about yes. withdrawing like, you know, the yes. coin, coin base and uh, several it, it, others exactly, so that you yes. provided with, uh, with the credit cards and stuff. So here is uh, about uh, buying it, literally a Bitcoin ATM. I, I would say in terms of uh, uh, banking regulations and know your customers, that's pretty terrible. 
<laughs> <laughs> ça, 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 sounds like a, uh, sounds like a criminal gangs paradise, these uh, ATMs. Somehow, yeah, probably yes. Okay, uh, okay, I was If I pretty. may add about the Bitcoin uh, ATM, uh, most likely uh, they are addressed to, let's say, to very specific categories. Uh, th their fees usually wherever I have uh, tried to search are enormous. Uh, in Greece, at least, there are one or two companies, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and uh, recently they were charging like 8% while this this percent is huge. So I guess they are only referring to people who don't uh, want, let's say, who don't know how to, to use crypto exchanges and such or to those that they don't want to appear. But I'm pretty confident that now they, they contact KYC. So I, I'm not sure what's the reason to, to use an ATM. You know they have Bitcoin ATM in Korean grocery stores here? Oh, that's great. Uh, and Yeah. how about the fees? Uh, they charge enormous fees or uh, I acceptable? I didn't I didn't look, but it was it was fascinating. It, and it's not just one. Um I've been to two different Korean stores and they both have a Bitcoin ATM in the front and uh the down the street actually from here there's a Bitcoin ATM at a gas station. So And do you it's pay actually with? Do you have to buy them with your uh, credit card, debit card, or with, uh, can you use cash? I you can use cash. Yeah, Oh, see, that's the big stuff. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's open twenty four hours, supposedly. So I haven't tried it, but um, it's prominent. It's right there, right by the door. It's not like hidden in a corner that you can't see. Ah, interesting, Makes interesting. sense. Well. Time Yep, will it's tell in this case. silly. What did you say? No, I said time will tell, you know, if 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 this become more the norm uh to, to be able to buy different type of coins uh from an ATM. Um, um I, I think we all have this in our pocket to do any type of transaction these days, so that should be sufficient. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a, a strange, strange thing. That's why it uh, caught our attention. Another article was about the, the fall of uh, Terra Luna, the, the disaster that this uh, um, created and uh, how the, you know, the, the community was shocked by one of the most promising uh, projects uh, one day before the crash, I would say. Uh, and uh, and now we remember it as uh, one of the the most catastrophic events uh, uh, in the in the you know crypto community, if we wanna say it like that. Any any thing to add? Any case study or or, or you know uh, idea? Uh, was that predictable, you know, because it was supposed to be a model that was very um, stable, uh, super uh, reliable, um, but there was like a, a, a problem somewhere. I don't don't remember exactly what was the cause. I think it was like a, um, uh, someone selling whatever coins they did not have, but. In your view, uh, Theodora and uh, Nikolaos, was that predictable or unpreventable?
I believe I can spend a lot of time uh, here because I have a quite funny story. Um, I was following Terra Luna since the very early days. Uh, the very first, uh, let's say, time I couldn't really understand their value proposition. I was really trying to understand uh, how they are making money and uh, how exactly it works. Now it's very easy to respond because we know that they were inflating both the volumes and such. Uh, but I was not understanding the economics. But after... Uh, Let's say because I have met let's say, a few members of their extended team in person, I was working for a San Francisco blockchain startup at that time. And they were everywhere, pretty much everywhere. Uh, I was start really starting persuading myself that I had the wrong point of view and uh, everyone see the success. And because I had invested initially, I was blaming myself that uh, why you are following this opportunity so early, why you didn't join and uh, probably you are wrong. Then not only I had, uh, let's say, persuaded myself that this is huge and uh, probably going to overtake uh, traditional payment companies like Visa or MasterCard, I have even written my thesis I was studying at that time um, at the University of Malta in the Center of Distributed Ledger Technology. And I have written my thesis why... Um, algorithmic stable coins could be viable uh, and uh, also I was backing this uh, let's say with software that could allow uh, algorithmic stable coins to be viable o obviously until now in the bibliography, not in the bibliography in the real world there was no not a single um, let's say uh, algorithmic stable coin that uh, could keep the, the pegged value and it was only Luna and uh, I have finished my thesis, you know, I was waiting probably, you know, a few months because it was summer to, to present to, to my professors and then uh, realizing that uh, my whole thesis that uh, saying that uh, Terra, you know, uh, proved that all <laughs> algorithmic stablecoins in the past didn't work and uh, I had lost both money because I had invested at that time in, in uh, Terra and USD, uh, but also my thesis was a total crap <laughs> because uh, it was proved everything wrong. So, uh, yeah, um, it was surprising that happened so fast. Uh, pr probably, um, probably I was part of the bubble because uh, I had persuaded myself that this uh, has prospect and works. But uh, at the same time, it's still surprising that happened so fast in like one single day. Everything has collapsed. Yes. This was uh, surprised, uh, surprising. Uh, and now we can understand why. Uh, because uh, everyone was swimming naked. And this, uh, let's say, uh, event, financial event, has proven that... Uh, a lot of, let's say, well-established uh, players at that time, you know, Celsius, BlockFi, 3Rs Capital, FTX, all those, they had already financial problems that they didn't want to admit. Otherwise, if the, the other players in the market were strong, I'm pretty confident they will try to some, somehow minimize uh, the damage. The, this has led to a really extended bear market and 
very bad publicity and toxic uh, relations with regulators. Definitely. Uh, Theodora, a, a question for you that might be related to the bear market and what is happening now in uh, in this sphere. Uh, 2024, I guess it's April, uh, we should have the halving event. And uh, as we know, usually the, this in the Bitcoin community, uh, you know, uh, makes sure that uh, the interest uh, comes back, <laughs> you know, to to the blockchain topic. And it is uh, probably connected to the fact that uh, Bitcoin uh, price goes, uh, goes up uh, or this time uh, down. We don't know. Every time we have to discover. What, what are your thoughts uh, around the uh, Terra, around the, the bear market, and the fact that probably next year something should happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, recently I did talk to Caitlin Long, um, and uh, she is very bullish about next year with the halving event. So we'll see what happens. She thinks that is going to go up. Yeah. Um, it's going to go up substantially, and uh, things going to be a little bit smoother. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, of course. When uh, when that happens, usually the 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 attention to the market uh, comes uh, comes back, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I would say that we used up all of our time, and I'm really grateful for uh, this uh, wonderful um, conversation that we had uh, today. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, Theodora and uh, Nicolas, for being uh, here uh, with us today. And I would like uh, to give you the the space to to tell our audience how they can uh, follow you and uh, and uh, keep in touch with uh, with both of you. So, Theodora, yeah. So um, the latest book, The Metaverse Economy, just came out uh, in August. So you can uh, look for it metaverseeconomybook.com find it on any where that sell books um and i'm on linkedin so it's pretty easy to find theater allow thank you and thanks for having me it's a wonderful thank conversation you. Thank, thank you very you. much nicolaus thank you also for having me i really enjoyed the discussion uh probably i will share my linkedin link um you can just send me a connection request and i will definitely respond if it's not a spammy message <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tons of spam, but uh, I, I'm always uh, responding to messages if I know um, <laughs> are something custom and they really um, address to me and not just, you know, mass sent to hundreds of people to generate sales. Okay, so thank you, Cyril. Thank you, Frank, for uh, being with us. Uh, hopefully, this was another good episode for our audience. Uh, this is definitely the last episode of the uh, of uh, our uh, season number two. Don't worry, because we are already working on season number three, <laughs> and uh, you will uh, not forget about us. We will come back soon. Thank you very much for all the support and uh, all the you know uh, effort that you have been uh, putting into following us, uh, liking our content. Uh, that motivates us to continuing and uh, definitely to try to also innovate again and again every season with some changes that definitely will arrive. Uh, arrive. So thank you everyone uh, and uh, see you on the next season. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. you.